Hello again, everyone, and welcome to Holy Conversations, the podcast of the Wesleyan Covenant Association. We are in our second webinar from the WCA Pathways Task Force. Our last one concerned church starts and restarts with the Global Methodist Church. And this webinar is with Angela Pleasance, who is the Director of Clergy and Church Relations with the Global Methodist Church. And we had a chance to ask her a lot of questions about pathways into the Global Methodist Church, questions about clergy transfers, how churches and clergy connect with one another, lots of different questions that were asked in this webinar. So I hope you'll take a a good listen to it. And again, if you have additional questions, you can always find the answers at globalmethodist.org. Start there. And if you have additional questions, we'll provide some additional information and contact uh, persons in the show notes for you to make sure that you get out uh, to others. But here is webinar number two, Pathways into the Global Methodist Church. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to this WCA Pathways webinar on Pathways into the Global Methodist Church. I'm Bob Kaler, pastor of Tri-Lakes United Methodist Church in Monument, Colorado, also a member of the WCA Global Council. And our guest this evening is Reverend Angela Pleasance, who is Director of Clergy and Church Relations for the Global Methodist Church. Angela, so glad you could join us this evening. Thank you. It's good to be here. Well, let's start by having you give us an update on what's happening with churches and pastors coming into the Global Methodist Church. I imagine you are one of the busiest people in Methodism at the moment. How many people have joined thus far, churches? What what are some of the joys and challenges you're facing in this very busy role? Uh, I think uh, busy is understatement. <laughs> Um, yeah, I'm sure everybody saw the article that Keith Boyette recently um, printed. And if you have not, you must go to globalmethodist.org and read it because it's very encouraging. Um, and if you did did not see it, just a little highlight that uh, we now have that have transferred over officially uh, 1,200 persons, clergy that have transferred, 1,100 congregations, and um he even uh, listed the different countries and even within the United States. For example, we have uh, Panama, Philippines, Slovakia, the United States, Angola, Bulgaria, Democratic Republic of Congo, England. Um, so it's really exciting. And the number I just quoted does not include the church starts, which is about 50 already, and even more are in the pike. So, um, so it's a lot of excitement. That was just the first wave. <laughs> we are now getting ready for the second wave that's coming through because we will have uh, special annual conferences starting right around the corner. Uh, at one point, we thought in staff meeting, we said, well, maybe uh, our emails will go down a little bit, but actually it seems like it's just continuing to increase. Um, so it's, uh, it's a joy to see that, uh, to see the excitement. We also... Uh, one of the other joys is just seeing some of the provisional annual conferences that have already been formed. I'm in North Carolina, so we have our provisional annual conference that has been formed here. Um, and then several others. Mid-Texas just had their annual conference uh, service, and they ordained, um, I can't remember, the was it 72, I think? Um, clergy, yeah. So, and I... Um, I saw a little snippets. People were recording parts and sending it to my phone, but 
uh, on staff meeting this week, Bishop Jones said that the whole service was phenomenal. It was so beautiful. And um, so that's exciting as well to, to see all of that that's taking place. Um, we're, as I said, we're still getting many applications that are coming through. Uh, with that being said, you talked about one of the what are some of the challenges. Um, I guess they would be called challenges, but one of the things that I always try to remind individuals that we are a new start denomination. We're not an extension of something. So this is actually from, from the ground up. And I think for us uh, as United Methodists, uh, especially if you were born into the United Methodist denomination, we were so used to having everything right there. It was right there at our fingertips. Um, we did not really have to wait for extended period of times unless you were coming into the, the ministry. And then, of course, that took many years to come. But we were so used to having everything right there because it was a very established denomination. And we are, as I said, starting from the ground up. So with that, um, there are things that take time because we don't have the, the big systems that are operating right now. For example, I look at the work that I'm doing. And if you break it down and look at one conference, we have 54 conferences in the United States. So if we just take one conference with the work that I do in receiving the applications uh, from clergy and congregations, you can equate it with the work of Board of Ministry, reviewing the transcripts and the clergy background information. Uh, but you think of a Board of Ministry in the United Methodist Church, they have, what, 35 or more individuals working with that to make it happen. You look at the registrar department in a conference. They have a whole department that works with the registrar. You look at the conference secretary. And they have a department for that. So when you pick up the phone or reach out to those individuals, they have a whole department that is right there willing to, ready to answer your questions. Now, let's look at what we're doing. Again, 54 conferences, but you have one person sitting behind one laptop with one email inbox. <laughs> and with one person sitting behind one laptop with one email inbox, and in that email inbox from the 54 conferences, I have clergy applications. I have church applications. I have clergy that are asking general questions. All of that is flooding into my one email inbox. And so it does take time because there's no order of where it comes. If I look at an email, I don't know if it's an application um, or just a question until I open it up. And so that takes time to go through. And so one of the challenges is I know that things need to turn around quickly and I wish we could get to it quickly. But sometimes uh, clergy are saying, I haven't heard, I haven't heard, I haven't heard. It's not that we've forgotten you. It's just we're trying to get to it, but we only have one person in one inbox trying to, to work on this. I now have two individuals that I've made delegates into my emails. And so it's now three of us going through my email inbox. But even with the three of us in there, it's still taking time. I'm also grateful that I now have a team of volunteers who are helping to process applications. But guess what? 
I still got to go into my one email inbox (laughs) to get the application, to send it to the team members that are processing uh, the applications. So it still takes time. Uh, We're trying to work out a system where individuals can send their uh, applications directly to the team members. So we're telling them to let people know in their area that they're collecting applications. That will help a bit. That way I'm not surfing through inbox trying to find the applications. Uh, So we're doing everything we can to try to speed up the process, but we don't want to go so fast that we also uh, not be effective and get things correct. We want to do it correct the first time. So we don't want to speed through too quickly that we uh, mess up what we're trying to do because behind the application is a person. And that's what's most important behind a congregation application or lay people and, and a church. That's what's most important. So we want to make sure we do it right. So I would say that's probably one of the biggest challenges right now is um, trying to work through a system that's not really full yet, uh, but still it's uh, we're, we're doing the best we can with what we have. Well, my hope is that tonight we'll be able to help answer some questions that may cut down some on the volume of phone calls you're getting about uh, these particular kinds of questions. We're, of course, working on situations out there that have to do with people whose uh, disaffiliation votes failed. Congregations are wondering how to get pastors. Pastors are wondering how to get churches. There are a lot of those kinds of questions. So, First, I'll ask you, what are some of the key key questions you're getting as you talk with pastors and churches in this situation, and how are you helping to direct them? Absolutely. Actually, um, thank you for asking that question, because I had to do a presentation last night at a congregation, and one of the questions they asked me, they said they, they think they may have enough votes to disaffiliate, but they're not sure. If they don't, it'll probably be by maybe two or three votes. Uh, The question was, what do they do next? What if uh, a group of them, if they don't get the votes to disaffiliate, what if a group of them walk out and leave? What, What will happen at that point? And so that question came up last night. And one of the things that I shared with them is that we have had those scenarios that happen. And if, let's say, if 45 uh, individuals left the congregation, we had another uh, church in North Carolina here that that happened, and 45 individuals left the congregation, and they did a new church plant. Uh, That would be considered a new church start. So that would go through the New River Network, which uh, Steve Cordell is the the director of that. And and usually I refer the individuals, give them his email or refer them to uh, the new church start director. Right. And and we had our, our, our last webinar was with the River Network with Kenny Ah, Ott from the River Network. So, so people can go to that to get that information and contact information for, for the River Network. Yeah. Correct. Yes. And, and the other thing that I um, often share with congregations, again, is a very key piece of vital piece. And I guess this is the, the shepherd part of me, the clergy part of me coming out is when you do have church votes that are so close like that, uh, just to remember, again, behind the votes are people and people who are hurting on both sides. And, and so I always make sure and talk to the clergy to make sure the clergy is OK, but also have the clergy to check in with the members, no matter which way they voted, just to make sure that all are okay. Uh, and, and, and that pastoral care, which I know clergy do that, but just as a, a reminder of that as well. So um, let me, let, so those, go ahead. 
Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I, I was just going to ask uh, some of the questions I know that uh, folks are having here, um, particularly in that situation. We've talked about, you know, churches, how they get started, how they do church planting. But let's say I'm a pastor whose church did not pass the vote for disaffiliation, but I want to move to the GMC but I don't necessarily want to plant a church. I may have listened to Kenny last webinar or I've done the assessment and said, you know, that's not really what I'm called to do because I think it's something that, and he reiterated something you really need to feel called to do. How do I find out about openings in global Methodist churches across the connection? What's the process for applying for those openings? Sure. Um, Right. I would not say it's it's an official uh, process, but one of the, the things that, we are doing at this point is a clergy person will notify me and let me know that they are seeking an appointment. Uh, Again, just always like to give examples. Uh, There was a clergy in a different conference who needed an appointment and she let me know and she gave me the states that she would be willing uh, that she's able to uh, move that. And there were about four states that she listed. One was actually here in North Carolina And when those states started setting up their provisional conferences, I reached out to the leadership of the provisional conference and gave that person the name, their profile, the information, was able to connect her with the leadership within uh, the provisional conference, and they were able to talk with her. There was a church that was needing a clergy person, and so she's now appointed uh, in a church in the northeastern part of North Carolina. Uh, Now, if there is an area that do not have a provisional conference set up at this point, then I work with the the GMC representative in that area and the uh, WCA representatives in that area um, as they are continuing to work with the churches because they would have more information. So we are connectional, so we use that connectional system in that way where I reach out to the WCA leaders, GMC representatives, or if it's a provisional conference, then I will speak with the leaders of the provisional conference. So people can contact those provisional conferences directly as well, correct? Correct. Yes. Yeah. So if I'm listed on our website. Yeah. And and we'll make sure that that gets posted in the show notes as well uh, for tonight. Now, if I'm a lay leader in a church that disaffiliated and wants to join the GMC, but needs a pastor, same process, but kind of in reverse, I would assume. Correct. Yes. Okay. So let's talk about credentials, because I know there are a lot of questions about that, and you're dealing with that on a daily basis. Are there ways that a pastor can transfer his or her credentials to the GMC without having an appointment? And if so, what's the process? Absolutely. Um, We've had different scenarios where clergy have transferred in um, that they do not have an appointment. For example, there are clergy who are on leave of absence. And um, usually I reach out to that clergy to ask the the essence of the leave of absence, is it voluntary? Um, If it is voluntary, then they will, like other clergy who are active and appointed, they will fill out the application. So they go through that entire process. Let's say if it is uh, involuntary, um, and this is something that I keep confidential when they share with me whatever the reason was for the involuntary leave of absence. I do have a small review team, and we usually meet with that individual, and then we write a recommendation to the Transitional Leadership Council, uh, whether we recommend the person to transfer or maybe not at this time to transfer. And even though we write that recommendation, it's still ultimately up to the TLC to determine if they will um, 
abide by a recommendation or not. That is, again, if it's involuntary and then uh, and if there's a reason that it was uh, maybe, uh, well, some type of reason that uh, they had to go on, like a complaint or something to that nature. So that's one way. Some people uh, have transferred over in senior status uh, and they in that you can still serve in senior status. But these are individuals who choose not to be appointed in their senior status. And again, they would still go through the process of filling out the application. Um, There have been some that have transferred over and they did not want an appointment. Excuse me. For example, one clergy who uh, was needed to take care of. his parents. So at this point, he did not want to take an appointment, but he still transferred over. He will be listed as inactive and not in an appointment. So again, you would go through the process of filling out the application and just state on your application um, that you're not seeking an appointment. Here's why. And the transfer will happen the same way. I know we have some questions about retired clergy, retired United Methodist clergy, same kind of thing. They would fill out an application and just come over that way. Correct. And they will be listed. We we don't use the word retired because in scriptures, there's no retirement, <laughs> but right. uh, even though they have that retired status, but it's senior status and that's how they will be listed. Okay. All right. So here's another scenario. Let's say a church disaffiliates, but wants to remain independent for a while. We know that there are a lot of churches mm-hmm. that are doing that. But yes. their pastor wants to transfer his or her credentials to the GMC. Is it possible for a pastor to stay with the church in that scenario as a GMC ordained pastor? Absolutely, yes. Um, the many of the churches, and I understand um, what their the request to stay independent for a season. Um, and I, I stress for a season. The Transitional Leadership Council has not given a specific date on that, but if it is for a season, then the clergy can be appointed to the congregation. Uh, Because I know there's uh, a lot of churches who said, we just need a breather. (laughs) We need to take a break. Um, And so we understand that. Now, if a church, if a clergy is pastoring, uh, transfer and pastoring a church that is independent, they, their ordination would be recognized. They would be recognized as a GMC uh, elder or deacon, but they would be listed as inactive. And what that means is they would not receive benefits that a GMC clergy pastoring a GMC congregation would receive. But again, they, their ordination would be recognized, but they would be listed as inactive in relation to the benefits. Okay, that's helpful uh, to know. Yes. So let's, let me ask a more general question that we want to be able to help you as you help us. So what are some best practices for pastors and churches coming over to the GMC? What are some things that you're seeing that would help you and your team as you process all of these different scenarios that come through? Sure. Yeah. Well, we're still seeing many applications that are either not complete or um, it's like Uh, Just one recently I had page two was left off. (laughs) And so, again, that takes time because we have to reach out to the person and say, can you please send in page two? And when that happens, well, that's another email that's coming in that's added to the other. So we have to make a note to keep searching for that email when it comes in. Um, So that's one of the, the things. Please, please, please make sure that the applications are completely filled out. Uh, that nothing is is left off. The other thing that I would uh, just ask is 
to uh, do research. Uh, many of the questions that I'm getting are questions that's on the Global Methodist uh, website. Just this week, I received, I would guesstimate about 10 emails where people, clergy said, hey, what? how can I transfer? What are the steps? And if you go to the Global Methodist website under FAQ, they're right there. And, and sometimes I get that from congregational lay people. How can a church transfer? Well, many of the uh, these questions that are being asked, the information is right there on the website. Um, so to if you can do the research before asking, that would help because, again, it would cut down on the many emails that, that are coming through. And the other thing, <laughs> excuse me, I don't know why I keep coughing, um, is if if you feel like it has been an extended time that you've heard uh, back from us, one of the things that I think can help is, uh, and I don't think many people know this, I am very grateful that TLC approved for me to have a part-time secretary, and she is phenomenal. Um, her name is Becky Spear, and I can put her email address in chat if there has been a period of time and, and you say, okay, I should have heard something by now, it would be helpful to email her. And the reason why she's one of the ones that have access into my emails, because when you email, when you send it to whether it's Keith or um, somebody in your uh, conference that you feel can send me an email and say, hey, can you check on this person? Well, guess what? That's another email coming in. And sometimes their email is going to get lost in the sea of emails. But if you email Becky, she can go right into my inbox and get it to you quicker than if you go to a third, somebody else, and, and then they're putting another email in. So again, I'll put her email in the, the chat that you can have that, and, and she's she can get right in there and find it for you. So just little things like that would be helpful um, in the process. You know, we pastors often chide our church people. We say, you know, it's, it's in the bulletin. In fact, we have t-shirts that says, it's in the bulletin, been there for weeks. And, oh, uh, uh, you know, if you want to know what's going on, check out the website. A lot of people, I see it on social media. What's the Global Methodist Church doing about X, Y, Z? Most of that information is available on globalmethodist.org. So make sure you go there and check that out. You can also check out information on wesleyancovenant.org. That's a WCA website. We're trying to give you all the information there. A little bit of, little bit of uh, legwork uh, will help Angela and her team with the process quite a bit. All right, I think we're going to move to some of the questions we have here in the chat. Uh, some of these we've covered, but if we've covered them, we'll, we'll touch base on them just uh, to reiterate. Uh, the first question is, what is the process for available GMC pastors to add their name to a roster? And likewise for GMC churches who are looking for pastors that will enable them to consider a pastor. And we have said, contact the Provisional Annual Conference, or they can send information to you and your team, correct? Correct. Yes. I had several clergy call me this week and they, they said, hey, I'm going to be looking for an appointment immediately. I, if they had a provisional conference immediately, I sent their name on to the provisional conference leaders or uh, WCA. Great. Great. A question, a technical question. Do we send our application for Global Methodist Church to you or to Tom Hanover? Um, so if you're in West Ohio or East Ohio, and I think Tom is also handling Susquehanna, uh, if you're in those areas, yes, 
uh, you can send it directly to him and and uh, it'll be quicker instead of uh, the email and then I'll pull it out because usually when I pull it out, I'm sending that to him. Okay. Another question. How do transferring pastors handle the polity class since the GMC has a different polity, including clergy who wish to transfer from other than the UMC? That is an excellent question. <laughs> and I've asked that question to Keith and the TLC also. I said, what do we do with that? So right now we're still taking the polity under what is the UMC. I do know, um, I guess I can say, well, I won't, there is one, I won't say which school, because I think they're in the process of trying to work through developing um, the beginning of a poly. Bob, you're, you're not, in, do you know about that? I see you're nodding your head, uh, uh, which is good to see you again. <laughs> um, but there is one who's working on something, but that will be, of course, time in the making where we will have a polity for the GMC. But right now, you will still continue to take the UMC polity. A related question, are there se- other seminaries other than Asbury? I'm currently at Ashland. Uh, I know that GMC has a task force doing vetting of institutions. I happen to know that because I'm on it. And yes. uh, and I also happen to know that Ashland is one of those seminaries, and it's also yes. the one that I uh, was vetting. So so it's in <laughs> process as far as I know. Yes, uh, yes. There are others that have sent in their application. And as you said, Ashland is one, Truett, uh, Beeson Institute in Alabama, have sent theirs in. Gordon Conwell in Charlotte, here where I live, uh, have sent, sent theirs in. Um, United and Wesley Bible Seminary as well. Right. So, and, and I don't know if this question is one, but I'll just uh, throw it out there. Uh, if we have any licensed local pastors on the call, I know one of the big questions is what about course of study? There are seminaries who are working on equivalents. Asbury is working on one. Um, I just got a this week in the email from Wesley Bible Seminary where they wanted uh, me to review their course of study equivalent. Uh, So Jamie Walters and I are going to review that next week and get back with them. So they're working on one. United's work. United has the certificate program, but I know they're uh, continuing to tweak that as well. Great. Uh, Another question. uh, What is the pathway for pastors who just retired? They're going to apply like everyone else, correct? Correct. Yeah. So go to the website. You'll find the application there, globalmethodist.org. Cynthia asks, as a UMC certified lay minister, I assume that's what CLM means, serving a disaffiliating church, which will apply to the Global Methodist Church, how do I apply and become a deacon in the pulpit? So as a certified lay minister, you you could send, you still send in your information and the courses that you have taken to be a certified lay minister. And if you are, um, you're appointed at this time, we would list you as a supply pastor. And from there, and this also, you can find that in the Transitional Book of Doctrines and Discipline, where it talks about the supply pastor. Uh, I know it's in part four, and I can't remember the number right now, but it talks about the steps that you would take and you would have like a, a, a three-year period to begin the, the class process. So you could serve as the uh, supply pastor for three years and then begin uh, the class to the classes to become ordained deacon. That's helpful. So another question here, how do I leave the UMC? Do I retire, transfer? Is there a difference in how I do it? This is probably a good time to talk about the paragraph 360 kind of stuff. Um, what are you seeing? What what's best practices are you telling people about as they want to come over from the UMC? How to I, I, transfer credentials, probably not the right word, but how should they manage that? 
the are you with the benefits well i'm thinking more in terms of their credentials themselves i mean because i guess it it matters that the umc Um, is going to do what they do so yeah i think that's what they're asking yeah so with that i know there are some conferences there are some uh annual i'm in one the western north carolina conference bishop carter is our bishop i'm sorry jay (laughs) that i said his name (laughs) uh we're still with him and he is one who he's been trying to uh, require the clergy to surrender their credentials. But one of the things that we are telling them is 360.1, you are transferring your membership from one denomination to another. You do not surrender your credentials. Um, and, you know, I was just thinking about uh, some of the news we got today with our endorsing chaplaincy endorsement, which the government has recognized us uh, in the chaplaincy endorsement. I said, if the government of the United States can recognize us as a denomination, who is anybody else to say we're not? But now you do not surrender your credentials. You are transferring your membership from one denomination to another. And and when after when someone has uh, been approved by the TLC and you receive the email in that email, you will also ha- see a blurb that's placed in there that you can now reach out to your conference officials, which, by the way, we don't do that. I know sometimes people are nervous and say, can you keep it confidential? We do keep it confidential that you have sent your application to us. We do not tell your conference that. But in that email, after the transfer has been approved and you have met the effective date, some people have effective date, maybe let's say July. You don't do it right now when you get the email. You do it at the effective date. You let your conference know that you're transferring your membership from one denomination to another. And we give you a sample paragraph that you can use to send in uh, to your conference officials. Now, for licensed local pastors, it would be different because uh, when you are no longer appointed to a congregation in a UMC, you no longer have your license. So you would not have to send in that paragraph that we attach to it. And I don't even think we put it in a licensed local pastor, but you can send them a letter to say that you're transferring to another denomination. So flipping that over then, how do we find out what GMC conference we are assigned to? I'm a retired clergy that has moved my credentials to the GMC and I'm now approved, but I'm feeling a need to connect with an annual conference. I also lead a small group of Methodists who have left the local UMC and we are trying to feel a connection. Now, in some places, I would imagine that's easier because those provisional annual conferences have formed. But for example, here in the West, we're in the Wild West right now. Um, There's no provisional annual conference. So how do people get that sense of connection? How do they find out who they're connected to? I think the best way in, in situations like that is continuing to be connected to your WCA uh, group and your leadership there. Uh, because, like, for example, and, and as far as how the regional annual conferences, provisional conferences will, will be set up, that information I don't have. Walter is responsible for setting up. He sets up the, the TCATs, which is the transitional conference advisory teams. And then from there, it's formed. So he's I call the guru on that information. But with that being said, it depends on how they would do the region. For example, here in North Carolina, under the UMC, we had two conferences. We had the North Carolina Conference. I'm in the Western North Carolina Conference. But now with the GMC, we have merged those two conferences. Uh, So now we're just one conference called the North Carolina Conference. And I know there's some other areas where conferences have been merged together. 
So if you're not in a provisional provisional annual conference at this time, then I would say for that connection, continue to be in contact with your WCA leadership and, and the council. And that's how you can uh, continue to get the information as well as feel the connection. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think each area has a GMC representative, even though they don't have a provisional conference yet. Um, so find out who that person you know, is and reach out to that individual as well. There's a list of those folks on the Global Methodist Church website as well. Uh, question about salaries. How does a church determine how much we have to pay a pastor? Is it based on experience or some other metric? Is there a minimum salary at this point for GMC? I imagine that's annual conference specific like it is now in, in the UMC, but any thoughts on that? Yeah, at this point, there's no, during this transitional period, there's no minimum salary that's set. Um, Some of the churches that I've been to to give presentations um, during this provisional time when they have transferred into the Global Methodist Church, uh, they've been responsible of setting the salary at that point. So right now, there is no minimum provisional uh, salary set during this provisional period. Dorothy asks, I'm a licensed local pastor and studying at Asbury. My church may be exiting, but we're not sure yet. Should I go ahead and fill out an application now or wait to see if they vote to come to the Global Methodist Church? If you fill it out now and you put a note on there to um, hold pending uh, while you're waiting for your congregation through this discernment period, we will go ahead and do the processing of the work. We will send you the background check link and have that done, and we will hold it pending. We would not submit it into the TLC until we hear back from you to say, okay, I'm ready to process the application. Okay. And and that's, that's helpful also because we are getting a flood of applications in, and I know some people, like, for example, when there was one conference that waited until the last minute, uh, come, there's, uh, I think it was... December, the first part of December, or the last of November, when they had their special session of annual conference. And for whatever reason, they were told, hold the applications until so many weeks before. And then all of a sudden, we had this flood come in. And we were just trying to work as fast as we can to get it done. Whereas if we had it ahead of time, uh, we could have had that space to work. And it caused a bottleneck because many people waited to the last minute. So as early as you can, and if you want us to hold it, I have a stack here where people said, hold, I'll get back with you on May the 29th. Um, so I'm holding. and um, But it helps because the work is already done. The background check is done. The only thing I'm waiting for is them to give me the thumbs up to say, put it through. So this one might be a little specific, but my church voted to disaffiliate last October and we sent in the form to join the GMC. We need verification that we are accepted into the Global Methodist Church before our conference votes on the approval. Understanding that you are very busy, how long should we expect to wait for a response to our application? The application is very basic, doesn't require much information. Are there barriers to acceptance? What's the name of the church? We now have... A lot of praise to Teresa Marcus. <laughs> she has, with all her multitudes of responsibilities, she has also been working on a master list that lists all the churches that have been approved, all the clergy, and she's doing it by conference. She's she's a saint. Um, you guys really need to send her messages of thank you for all this. But all that to say, and she sends us updates on this master list. And so after the call, I can check on that. Um, so if the person wants to give me the name of the church, I'll write it down and check on that. Um, I'll have them drop that in the chat 
okay. or direct message that to you in okay. in the uh, in the chat. Uh, continuing on, Wally asks, "Can a pastor serving in an extension ministry continue that work, hospice chaplain, etc., after transferring to the GMC?" Absolutely. We've had many chaplains who have transferred. And now that we're officially endorsed, um, so we also have uh, Gary Clore is the uh, director of our uh, chaplaincy endorsing committee. So, yes, they would they could still serve in that capacity. Can you make your transfer from the United Methodist Church to the Global Methodist Church pending and only take effect once your UMC church completes disaffiliation? And how do you mark your transfer application that way? Uh, yes, that's what I was saying earlier. If they put on their application, just either in the email or on the application, hold this pending and whatever date, uh, we'll hold it and we'll not put it through until we hear back from them. A lot of information we're giving out tonight, so I'm glad we're recording it so that people can go back and listen to this because there's a lot of stuff uh, that is uh, coming out. You might have to listen to it for a, a couple of times. There's so much information to to wrestle with. We're not going to get to all of it tonight. I see more and more questions popping up in the chat here. We're going to do our best to answer them, but at the end of the day, uh, check the check the website, and also uh, you can email Angela and her team uh, and uh, try to get on board with with those questions you have that may be more specific. Okay, so next question. What about licensed local pastors and their credentials? How do they transfer those? So for a licensed local pastor, if they have satisfied the educational requirements to be ordained a deacon, then, and they would send, once they send in the application, also send in your transcript. Uh, just as a quick side note, because I had this question earlier today, undergraduate coursework does not count. Some often will get an email to say, I took this in, in my undergraduate, can, or what it was like, Old Testament. Undergraduate coursework does not count towards educational requirements. It must be master's level. There is a, a bit of a confusion in paragraph 407 where it said the majority world, where it will, majority world is the international. We're actually not the majority world in the United States. Uh, and that's because their educational system is set up differently from the United States. So I just wanted to add that side note. But if they have satisfied the requirements to be ordained a deacon, then when they, but they have not, uh, satisfy all the requirements to be ordained an elder, we will review the transcript and they will be listed on the TLC for approval to be ordained uh, deacon. If they have satisfied all the requirements to be ordained an elder, then we will list on there to be ordained elder. But let's say they've taken maybe two or three courses. They have not satisfied all the requirements to be ordained a deacon. They will be listed as TLP, which is transitional local pastor, as they continue to work on those educational requirements to be ordained deacon and then elder. All right. Donald asks a question. What about situations in which my two churches go different directions? One goes GMC and the other independent. Would I be able to pastor both as a GMC deacon? I'm trying my best to guide them both toward GMC, but obviously the decision is theirs. And that's the same scenarios earlier. Um, he would still be able to pastor since one is independent and one is GMC, uh, still be able to pastor both. Of course, the one that's independent would not, of course, pay into the benefits of a G that a GMC church would, but he would still be able to uh, pastor both. And they, we don't have the time limit. TLC has not really set a time limit of uh, that 
season, that grace period of how long a church can be independent, but just keep that in the back of your mind. It will not be uh, an indefinite time. If a small disaffiliating church cannot afford its own pastor, would it be possible for them to associate with a larger global Methodist church in their area, perhaps as some sort of satellite? There was a, a situation where I think it was in Rising Star, Texas, where something similar happened. And again, that's where I reached out to, at the time it was the TCAT team. Uh, they're now a provisional conference. But when I spoke with uh, the leader at the time, it was a TCAT team. And I said, this, this was a church with, that was on a charge. It was the only one on this charge. It was a three-point charge that was transferring to the GMC. And they said, we cannot afford a pastor. So what are we going to do? And when I reached out to the, the TCAT team there, they were able to help get that church into a corporative parish setting where they had like a circuit ride of pastor. So there are so many different uh, scenarios that TCATs or provisional conferences can work with churches to be able to help them, no matter how large, no matter how small, uh, no church is going to be left behind uh, in receiving a pastor and also in being connected into the system. So I think we've talked about this some, but we probably ought to reiterate it. Uh, Leslie says, I believe I read that as a United Methodist clergy, we must surrender our credentials before being accepted into the GMC. Actually, we've said, no, you can be provisional, correct? Correct. So how are people supporting themselves while they wait to see if there is an appointment open for them in the GMC? It seems like a big risk for people who are supporting a family. Yeah, that's the big question marks. Um, That we don't have an answer for um, other than just trying to do the best we can of helping them to get connected with other clergy in the area or their provision. If they have a provisional conference, what appointments are available, or if they have WCA, if they don't have a provisional TCAT teams or WCA leaders to help the individuals. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of, that's one of the reasons why we formed this task force was to try to help people find those connections, but there are always situations that are beyond uh, our scope. And uh, so we keep praying for everyone in this process as they try to find uh, those connections and, and think about, because um, the reality is, yeah, you, you got to feed your family and, and you need health insurance and, and things like that. So uh, we'll continue to work on that. Will the Global Methodist Church require a church to have a parsonage or housing allowance for the pastor? We have lived in a church parsonage for 30 years and do not own our own home. As a pastor's wife, I'm concerned about having a home if we have to change conferences. Well, many churches have transferred over. Um, Some do have, it'll be a similar situation as when they were UNC. They they still will have their parsonage. Some that do not have parsonages will have housing allowance. One, some of the churches that have reached out to say, we need a clergy and I've asked them for their profile uh, profile information, such as uh, your salary package, uh, the, what, you would see as gifts and spiritual gifts in the clergy that you're looking for. And they have sent their information and they do have housing allowances, the ones that do not have parsonages, or if they have a parsonage, they give a description of what the parsonage is. So we would continue to have the parsonages. We would continue to have housing allowance the way the church, however the church sets that up. Okay. Another one here. What is the process for an ordained deacon wishing to transfer to the GMC and become an elder? 
We have actually had several de- deacons that have done that. And one, and I, I guess I can say it because she's posted it on her, her social media. Suzanne Nicholson is uh, the latest one that we just approved. She finished all her educational requirements uh, to be ordained an elder. Uh, she was a deacon in the UMC and she had her Masters of Divinity. And so when we listed her name before the TLC, we listed it as to be ordained elder. So we do have deacons that have transferred to be ordained elder. Uh, Scott asked a question. I think we've answered this. If we are in a conference that is making it harder to disaffiliate and we don't know when we will be able to get out, should pastors wait to apply for transfer if they don't yet have an effective date? Again. Yes, they, they, they can go ahead and send in their application, even though they don't have an effective date, they can still send in all the paperwork and we can go through the, the beginning part of that, getting the background check complete, making sure the application is complete. And then we'll just hold it pending. Okay. Would a licensed local pastor who has completed the five-year course of study and have been appointed for over 20 years in the UMC be ordained an elder in the GMC? So they've completed the entire course of study, and if they are a licensed local pastor, they will be, or they have completed all the educational requirements to be ordained an elder. Okay. I've got a couple of questions here about degrees that meet educational requirements I'm not sure that's in the scope of what we're talking about here tonight. Are there certain degrees offered by Asbury other than MDiv that would necessarily fulfill their educational requirements? Are there other degrees other than the MDiv that are being accepted? I think that's the main question that I'm seeing here. Yes, that if they go to paragraph 407 in the Transitional Book of Doctrines and Discipline, that breaks down not only the educational requirements, but there's also a list of the degrees uh, that could apply as well. Okay. Wally asked, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I was just going to reiterate that even with the degrees, you can complete all the educational requirements um, without even getting a particular degree. Uh, for example, United has a certificate program that's set up and it's, it's online. So, so as you're taking your educational requirements, you necessarily do not have to have like an MDiv or a master's of religion, um, you can still take the courses and that will count as a requirement. It's, but as long as it's a master level course as well. Okay. And double check that uh, with the website. And if there are questions, yeah. make sure you pass those along uh, to the Global Methodist. Contact Angela and her team. Uh, they can they can help you figure that out. But I know people are starting degree programs and thinking about that and wanting to make sure they're they're spending their money wisely as they as they move toward uh, ordination and things. Um, let's see here. Um, where can I find the list of congregations approved to join the Global Methodist Church? We don't have that listed um, as of yet. So, but if, again, if you're in a area that has a provisional annual conference, seek out your leaders for that, or you may want to talk to your WCA leaders, but for a particular reason, we don't publish the list of churches at this point. Can I go back to something also very quickly with the education? Absolutely. Um, Sorry for backtracking, but we will have a recommended list. I think that's kind of important just to let people know. It would not be a required list. It will be a recommended list uh, that will be lifted up of seminaries. If you do decide to go to a seminary that is not on the recommended list, please make sure that it is an ATS um, 
approved seminary, Association of Theological Schools, or a comparable body, and and to make sure that you do continue to take your uh, Wesleyan courses as well. But it will be a recommended list and not a required list. How many churches have already joined the GMC? Is that 1,100, uh, something like 1100. that? 1,100. Yeah. 1,100 churches, 1,200 clergy, and 50 new church starts. All right, I'm going through. Some of these questions are um, things we've already covered. Um, here's one. What guidelines does the GMC have for a pastor holding ordination in, in another Wesleyan denomination to pastor in the GMC while maintaining the other ordination? We have had uh, a couple of those that have come through. And what we look at, uh, I met with Keith about this uh, to look at those guidelines. And since it is another Wesleyan congregation uh, that our denomination that they have served, we look at how long they have been pastoring just to make sure they have pastored United Methodist congregations. And then, so we have submitted their names before the TLC to transfer while they maintain their ordination in the Wesleyan denomination that they're in. We have also had clergy who were from other denominations, the Church of Nazarene, the Wesleyan denomination, and we've even had some from the Baptist denomination, but making we looked at the transcripts to make sure they had the educational requirements, and they have transferred over to be ordained in the Global Methodist Church, so we recognize their ordination to be transferred over. Looks like there are a lot of questions specific to ordination and education on the GMC site. Is there an area specific to that which Folks with questions are seeking answers. Specific to ordination? Or? Yeah, specific to ordination and education. I assume that's on the website. There's part of the FAQ and then also in the Book of Doctrines of Discipline, right? Yes, part four. Yeah, so check that out. And again, if you have questions, uh, send those straight on. Um, uh, I'm sure Angela's team and, and others at Global Methodist Church will be able to get you connected there. Um, as an ordained UMC deacon, I have a master's degree in counseling and the basic graduate theological courses. Will these transfer to be a deacon in the GMC? If you send in your transcripts, we will look to see what classes um, that are required, have met the requirements for paragraph 407. And we can determine, are you transferring as, let me ask this question, are you asking, could you transfer as an elder? Is that what the person's asking? Uh, as an ordained deacon. As a, oh, okay. Yes. Then they, if they are an ordained deacon in the UMC, they would transfer as an ordained deacon in the GMC. Okay. Uh, Betsy says, I'm hearing a lot of acronyms. Yes. Institutions love acronyms as a former <laughs> army officer. They're all out there. So, so let me, let me, she's asking the question, is there a specific place where we can find all the explanations for those acronyms? I don't think so, but that's a good idea to start one. <laughs> yeah, I think that probably needs to be in the FAQs somewhere. FAQ being yeah. its own acronym, of course, but <laughs> uh, just to give people an idea, TCAT stands for? Transitional Conference Advisory Teams. And TLC is the Transitional Leadership Council of the Global Methodist Church. Yes. Um, so those are two that I know that are thrown around quite a bit. So uh, hopefully that's helpful to you, Betsy. And yes, we all need a glossary of acronyms to make sure that we have those done. Jay's put those in the, in the chat. And uh, when you're, when, again, it can be inside baseball here when we get a lot of acronyms kind of flying around <laughs> and um, it's good to ask those questions. So thank you, Betsy, for, for 
stopping us and helping us define what we're talking about here. Um, let's see. Uh, I think as far as that goes, based on most of the questions that we have received, um, any others that you might think of, Angela, that we haven't answered or talked about this evening? We've covered a lot of stuff, but I want to make sure you get the last word here. Yeah, I can't think of uh, some of the ones I interspersed uh, throughout, so I can't think of any others. Um, but one of the uh, other things that I just want to share with everyone, uh, so for those who follow me on social media, you've probably read many of my posts, but one of the big, only because I'm also a certified spiritual director, so I always care about the soul of people. And I know that we're going through a lot. I know many of us have been through a lot of hurts and um So one of the things that I just want to encourage everyone, take care of your soul. Um, Just make sure you you stay. I know when I went through what I, Jay and I kind of have similar paths that we walked. And um, one of the things that I sensed within me was anger and bitterness, and I did not want that. And so I just, I got before I took a spiritual renewal leave. And I think you did too, Jay. You took a spiritual renewal leave, I think. Um, and I just got before God and I said, God, deal with this anger that is in me because I don't want that to cripple. It was damaging me. It wasn't damaging anyone else. It was damaging me. Um, and so take care of your soul, take care of yourself, uh, be of support for each other. Uh, so I just want to encourage everyone with that. That's really helpful. And a good word for us as we go through this. We all need a little bit of patience and to wait on God's timing for this. We're not all in situations we'd like to be in. It's one of the reasons we started this task force and want to get that information out to you. I know there are probably a lot of questions we didn't answer. So Angela, what's the best way for people to get those questions? Give us again your contact information, contact information for your team so that we can pass that along. Um. Would it be helpful if I send you an email of the volunteers and the conferences that they're covering so you can get it out to everyone? That would be perfect. And uh, okay. uh, Bill, who's okay. uh, Bill Battle, who's our uh, our information guru here, sending out stuff to the folks who have been on this call. Uh, okay. We will make sure that we include all that information in the in the email we send out following up on this webinar and we'll make sure that you have those emails. If you want to send those directly to me, we'll make sure we get them out to everyone. Okay. Along with a link to the recording that will be up on Holy Conversations tomorrow, which will be January 27th. And I hope you'll check those out there as well. Okay. And I put my secretary's email in the chat, Becky Spear. Um, so that's somewhere up in the chat. We'll make um, sure we put those on there too. So okay. yeah, just give me the whole list and we'll make sure we publish those for everyone. Okay. Well, I want to thank you, Angela, for joining us this evening. I want to thank everyone for jumping on the call tonight. Again, if you have additional questions about the webinars or you want to get connected uh, to the upcoming webinars, I'll remind you the next one is Thursday, February 2nd at 7 p.m. Eastern. Joel Watts, who is a certified uh, licensed therapist, 
will be on to help us talk about dealing with the fallout, how we deal with the emotional impact of all the disaffiliation conversations on clergy, on congregations, how we deal with conflict. I think that's going to be a really helpful session. So 7 p.m. on February 2nd, and then the following Thursday, February 9th, we'll have a panel discussion on remaining in the UMC because we know some folks will be remaining in the UMC, whether by choice or by necessity and how to navigate that in a new season. So I hope you'll put those on your calendar and join us for those. Thank you again, Angela. Thank you, Jay Therrell, who's been in the background helping out. Thank you, Bill Battle, for your work on all the emails and things for our Pathways Task Force. I'm Bob Kaler, your host. We'll see you again here back on February 2nd for our next webinar. Thank you all.